Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We do cover some pretty tough topics sometimes. Today's topic, though, leaves me very hopeful, and I'm very excited about it. I have my guest, Cindy Sparks, who works for the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. Hi, Heather. Hi. And, Cindy, can you give us a better title? I, I, I'm desperately trying to click on your bio here, and I'm not finding it, so for my lack of efficiency, I apologize. But give us a better explanation of your job title and what you do for labor and industries, will you? Sure. I actually am what they call a protected leave specialist in the state of Washington. We have five protected leave laws, uh, time that employees may take away from work, that entitles them to uh, some job protections, meaning that when they come back, the employer has to reinstate them or give them their job back. Does it have to be the exact same job? Uh, Same or equivalent. Ah, equivalent. Okay, so if the employee, that gives the employer some flexibility because, you know, we've spoken about this before. I've been a small business owner, and sometimes even though laws are wonderful, they're very burdensome to the small business person, and um, I empathize with that a great deal. So um, the idea that the if the employer has to move on and put somebody else in that job, it's okay as long as they have something equivalent for the person when they return. I, I think that makes reasonable and and uh that that sees both sides of the equation absolutely as long as the pay the hours the terms and the conditions that they are normally used to are provided to them upon their return uh, they can give them a different position yeah because i mean we all want to help folks but you know uh, people who are in business especially as i said the smaller business people they they do have a, a chore for some of this stuff so I did a little online search, and I saw some protected leave laws in other states varied from our state, and not all of them um, included domestic violence. Are you aware of whether or not our state law is unique or has unique aspects among the other states? It it really is a very unique law. It's, um, It's probably one of the most generous of the state laws that I have seen, and and I'll just give you the title. We call it the Domestic Violence Leave Law. The leave um, could be for sexual assault as well as stalking. Um, And, you know, we actually have some fairly broad aspects of our law that are not carried by a lot of the other states. And by that I mean some of the states have laws that deal with this, but they are restrictive in nature. In other words, an employer may have to have 50 or more employees before they're required to be subject to this law, or the amount of time that the employee can take off may be restricted. Maybe you're only entitled to three days or 12 days or 12 weeks. In the state of Washington, our law is pretty broad. It allows you to take reasonable leave, and it applies to all employers within the state, regardless of their size. Wow. So, again, though, thinking of the small employers, a lot of these laws that require certain benefits, the laws will be written, as you said, to only apply to businesses that employ more than 50. I saw some that applied to employers who employ more than three. You know, that's kind of carving it down. But Washington's law applies to everybody. If you employ somebody for two hours a week, that's your employee, and you have to know about this this law. Am I right? Absolutely. That is correct. Yeah. And... The thing that that really attracts me to this legislation 
is that so often women who are going through domestic violence situations or trying to leave domestic violence situations will actually lose their jobs because they're taking time off work because of the the bad situation or they're trying to, you know, find daycare or they're having to go to court all the time. And it's totally, it's a total time for upheaval for these, these women. And I've actually spoken to some women in, in Washington state who have been told that if they take more time off, they will lose their jobs, even though this law is in effect. Yeah, and and they they need to be informed that this law's out there for their protection. And I, I want to tell you about some wonderful changes that took place starting in June. And I don't know if you were aware of this, but um, our old domestic violence leave law um, actually had a few holes in it. And it was uh, suggested that maybe some changes needed to take place. And so House Bill 2661 came in, came on the floor in the last legislative session. And it actually added some more stringent guidelines to this law, changing things a a little bit and adding a few more protections. And this, uh, I guess I'll kind of talk to you a little bit about those changes. So the old uh, domestic violence leave law didn't cover a failure to hire or discriminate because an individual was an actual or perceived victim. So I give you an example. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So let me let me give you an example. The previous law would only cover you if you were engaged in actually taking domestic violence leave for a specific purpose, one of the purposes that were outlined in this law. Okay? If you were not engaged in one of those protected purposes, you were subject to discrimination from an employer. Just as you mentioned before, if you made your employer aware that you were a victim of domestic violence and you had a protective order, but you weren't requesting time off, you just wanted your employer to be aware that there was a situation, the employer could fire you and there was nothing that the state could do to help you. Okay? Because you were not taking leave. That's not a far-fetched idea. That's just, I mean, that Absolutely. happens. Employers Absolutely. go, whoa, I don't want to be involved in this and blah, blah, blah. So that actually does happen. And very often, and employers like, I, I don't want to be in the middle of this. I don't want no part of it. I don't want your ex coming around here into my business and causing trouble for me or whatever. And it happens. Absolutely. And unfortunately, in the old domestic violence leave law, there was a gap. If you were not involved in actually taking leave for one of the purposes described by this law, the law didn't cover you, and you could be retaliated against, and you would lose your job. However, House Bill mm-hmm. 20, 2661 started, um, came through, passed, and starting June 1st, there was a correction to that. So now that is no longer an option. The new law covers this uh, kind of scenario that I just mentioned by making it illegal for an employer to discriminate against hiring if they make it known during a hiring event that maybe they were involved or have been involved. The employer cannot discriminate against you from a hiring. He also cannot discriminate or retaliate against you in any of those types of activities that you might come across. And by that I mean... For instance, let's talk about maybe, um, you know, in hiring practices is one, but also we're talking about compensation 
or advancement opportunities. Maybe he has decided, the, or she, your employer has decided that they are um, a little concerned because you're going to be taking more time off because you've got this incident. Well, now you're no longer going to be eligible for that raise that you were um, originally slated for or that promotion. So uh, it it essentially kind of firms up a little bit some of the, the loose ends that we were had in that last one. It's just retaliation in general. You may not discharge, threaten to discharge, demote, deny the promotion, sanction, discipline, retaliate, harass, discriminate. I mean, they just went overboard making sure that they covered wow. their bases in this law. So even if now it's no more just covering you like it used to be in the past. You had to be involved in actually asking for that leave. Now it's it's firmed it up and really kind of tightened it for employers that any kind of adverse action that is taken against an employee, if they're even an actual or even a perceived victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking, they cannot retaliate or harass them or change privileges of their employment because they have made it known or the employer even believed. So as we were just talking in those scenarios, now, you know, employers cannot take this and, and, you know, kind of this perceived notion in the back of their head that this is going to be a problem and just kind of make it go away and hope that by getting rid of the employee that they have alleviated all liability. That's not an option anymore, not with this new law. Well, and when now when we've been talking here, we've been talking about the employee actually experiencing domestic violence, but there are cases where the employee who may be having a relative or uh, a friend who's experiencing domestic violence, and this applies to that as well. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? You are absolutely correct, yes. You cannot um, discriminate against an employee. These same protections apply if you are helping your family member who maybe is experiencing these situations. You are allowed to take time away from work to help that family member to seek assistance, whether maybe mental or even um, maybe some kind of health care provider or taking them to a, a, a one of the social service programs that might be available to them. You are allowed to help them, and you cannot um, I guess, treat somebody differently for having helped a family member exercise their rights under this statute or even a friend who is maybe trying to exercise their rights under this statute. Oh, wow. Um, that's really quite liberal. And, and as I said, I didn't do an extensive research of the other state laws, but the, from glancing through the, the list that I saw, I think that's the only time I've ever heard of it where it's not actually the victim who is the employee. Um, that's, that seems pretty generous. Does that then, and I, I'm, I don't know all the terminology, but does that then make a domestic violence um, victim a protected class, or is that a whole different bag of, uh, bag of I balls almost, there? I almost, yes, absolutely, Heather. I almost equate this to maybe something that you might be familiar with when you talk about human rights. You know, we're talking about race, religion, you know, that kind of thing. Um, this is a protected class. This is somebody that you have to be very careful with when you are dealing with them as an employer in order to avoid um, a possible complaint and then a finding that you discriminated. As I was, you know, kind of went through, that retaliation section in this law is really very extensive, going into all of the things that you can't do. 
discharge, demote, deny a promotion, discipline, retaliate, harass, discriminate uh, with respect to compensation, terms or conditions or privileges of their employment. I mean, it, it just goes in and it just kind of really delves in and just says, no, it's just not something that you can, you can mess with. You have to treat this as if this is a protected class. I can picture a, num a, a lot of blowback from other employees, perhaps, on this. And uh, to that, I kind of say, too bad, so sad. <laughs> but then absolutely, I've absolutely. And it does happen. And you know what? It's, yeah. it's one of those things, Heather, that it's really, it's, it's terrible. I had a particular situation where it, it was a domestic violence uh, complaint that I had received. And one of the things that was the most hurtful to this individual was a schedule that had been posted and employees had changed a, um, a, I guess it was supposed to read sick, and somebody went up there and changed it and made it into the word slick. So it wasn't even the employer who was harassing. It was employees who were harassing because as a result of taking this leave, other employees were required to cover for this individual, and it, be, it formed a bit of a resentment by these other employees. And I think I would almost be um, cautious in saying this. We haven't seen anything like it. But if an employer failed to address that kind of harassment from the employees, I'm kind of suspicious that you could possibly still be held liable under this statute if you failed to address that kind of harassment from other employees. Yeah. You know, I had a situation. I was at the gym working out, and the lady in the, on the elliptical trainer next to me, she and I started chatting. And she was working for a small employer, and one of the other employees who was actually elderly um, had decided that he liked her, and he started stalking her, and he started following her to different places, and she was terrified. And she went to the employer, who kind of just blew it off, and she was scared. And I said, well, I happen to know my, my friend Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> told me about this domestic violence leave law. And I said, I think you need to contact L&I and, and investigate it because I think that your employer, because the employer was saying, well, it's just good old Joe. He doesn't mean anything by it, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, yeah. no, I think, I think that he needs to take that seriously. And I think there's some place that can help you with that. So I don't know whether she ever contacted you, but I, I gave her your department and said, go here. I think they can help you. Um, well, and let's hopefully talk, she you know, Heather, that brings up a, another valuable thing that I, I kind of wanted to address. And this, this House Bill 2661 uh, really added another important piece to this law that wasn't there before. And it's called safety what? accommodations. Ooh. Employers are now required to offer a reasonable safety accommodation to an employee who is a victim or perceived victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking. And that could include accommodations that could be a transfer, reassignment, modifying their work schedule, changing their work telephone number or their email address, changing their workstation, installing a lock, um, you know, these types of things that would not create an undue hardship on the employer would be required. As an employer now, under this, this new statute, it is a requirement that you offer a safety accommodation if it is asked for by the employee. 
that you know I've I did I, it surprises me that we needed to add that because I've heard for years about employers being held responsible federally for the safety of their employees in domestic violence situations. Um, right. So it kind of surprises me that we need that in our state legislature or state legislation, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Well, I think that what we're probably looking at is, you know, maybe OSHA or even in the state of Washington are equivalent to OSHA or the Occupational Safety and Health. Um, we have our Department of Safety and Health here in the state of Washington. Um, employers do have an obligation to make sure that the workplace is safe. This just builds upon that. It just says, you know, even if we don't go to that aspect of, you know, slippery when wet, um, you actually have to provide, if it is requested by a victim or an, an actual or perceived victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking, and they come to you and ask for a reasonable safety accommodation, there's a requirement, and you can file a complaint with L&I, and we will investigate it. And I, and I want to talk a little bit more about the actual uh, legislation before we move into what, what some of the repercussions are, um, but I definitely want to talk about that. One of the things that you talked about is actual or perceived. You keep saying that, actual or perceived. Um, mm -hmm. If somebody's experiencing this, maybe they don't want to go tell their employer their whole sad story. Do they have to show uh, protection orders or police reports or something in order to access this kind of assistance? Uh, well, there is a verification requirement. Uh, the verification requirement is fairly liberal, however. An employer can ask for some type of verification, and there's a listing in the statute of things that you can provide, but the statute says you only have to provide one or more. And one of those types of verification is a simple email that an employee can write notifying their employer that they are having a domestic violence, sexual assault, or a stalking-related incident, and they need time off, explain to the employer what that time off might be for, and then you would be, in fact, covered. You do have to provide that information to the employer. The statute does require that you give that employer at least the, enough information for them to know that this is, in fact, what you are seeking the time off for. But it's, it's enough for you to notify them that this is what you are seeking. You don't have to yeah. drag out court reports and police reports nope. and all that kind of stuff. Nope. And, you know, all you have is, to do is just, yeah, that written email is one of the requirements. It's very liberal. Um, you don't have to, like you said, get, get into the nitty-gritty of every detail that occurred. In fact, there's even some confidentiality requirements in the statute that prohibit an employer from asking for more than what the employee is required to give. And by that is, all they need to give them is that email notifying them that they have been or you know, are experiencing issues related to domestic violence, stalking, or sexual assault, and they would, in fact, have that, uh, that coverage and met their verification requirement. And the reason mm -hmm. I use that terminology, perceived, uh, is the way it was written. Um, even if an employer isn't 100% certain, uh, you know, they have the right to ask, and the employee has to provide it. But if the employee doesn't, I have a feeling that this statute could probably be extended to include those people that don't come right out and say, I am a victim of domestic violence. If somebody were to come into work and they have, for instance, bruising and there is, you know, maybe 
a lack of um, maybe a, a reason for that and you've asked and you suspect that there is some kind of domestic violence going on, then I think the statute would probably apply to that employer as well. At that point, you could request verification, maybe even uh, ask if they are in need of additional assistance, provide them with this law, let them know what they have available to them. Uh, these would all be smart moves on behalf of an employer. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, about this legislation, that, that the, the glitch, when you said that the, um, the House bill that they enacted this uh, latest legislative session that took effect in June uh, cleared up some, it was the housekeeping on the bill. Um, I was hoping that you would say that somebody thought to include, you know, a, a sibling. Because we, when we talked before, you said yeah. how, how somehow inadvertently they left off sibling from the bill. Have they corrected that yet? No, siblings are not counted as a family member in the definition. Um, however, I will call attention to the fact that uh, the state of Washington has a new paid sick leave law. The new paid sick leave law does include siblings as a part of a family member. So even if you weren't able to declare that for the domestic violence, you would be able to take time off under the paid sick leave if you have it available, then you would be able to use it for the care of a sibling. But unfortunately, that has not been rectified in the domestic violence leave law yet. I'm sure that somebody will call attention to it, I hope, and get that taken care of. Well, I did an interview with one of our state legislators, actually two of them, uh, a few months ago, and I made sure to mention that glitch to them. So hopefully they will have, uh, they'll remember that next session um, because that's kind of glaring. I mean, if your sister is going through something like this, you want to be there for her and, um, you know, it, it, it needs to be corrected. But, okay, so when you're talking about paid leave, not all, does this mean the employer has to come up with money just to give to the person as if they were still working? if they're not coming in to work? How does that, what does paid leave mean? Okay, well, the paid sick leave law uh, is, is different from domestic violence. It's a requirement now in the state that every employer track the hours of certain employees that qualify. And by that, there are certain people that do not, and those would be people that are exempt. Uh, that would be one class that might not be eligible for it, but most employees in the state are now going to receive one hour of paid sick leave for every 40 hours that they work for an employer. And they may use this paid sick leave to take domestic violence leave. Okay, Domestic violence mm -hmm. leave actually allows the employee to take the leave. If they have paid leave, they can substitute it for unpaid leave. So it actually is very helpful if you have accumulated over years of working with an employer and then suffer some type of uh, domestic violence, stalking, or sexual assault, you can pull from these, these banks that employers may have uh, to help make sure that part of the leave that you take is now paid leave. Okay. What about under the regular domestic violence leave law? Um, does that mean that I have to take, how much time are we talking? Are we talking a day here and there? Are we talking a week? I mean, what does the legislation say about how much time? Well, this is a point of contention. Uh, the law says that you may take reasonable leave. 
reasonable leave is not defined. It is determined on a case-by-case -case scenario. And I get questioned about this very often by employers. Uh, this person, you know, I'm just going to throw this, this individual is out on domestic violence leave and they've been gone for three months. I don't think that's considered reasonable. Well, if you take a look at the entire scenario and we find out that maybe this is an individual who suffered some kind of terrible trauma that has, has long-term effects, uh, for instance, maybe there was a physical abuse that caused her to have memory loss or some type of physical disability that made it difficult for her to get, get back to where she was prior to that incident. Maybe three months is not unreasonable. And so we have to look at the entire circumstance of the situation. Uh, and that's where the, the Washington, uh, you know, domestic violence leave law does differ from many states. They put a cap on how much time, many of them do, um, on how much time you could take. Uh, the state of Washington has left it open and considered it um, just to be reasonable time off. And so that is one of the biggest fights that I do have is that we, the employers would like to see a limit or a time frame established. And right now we don't have that in the statute. It is on a case-by-case -case determined on whether or not the leave that the employee is taking is considered to be reasonable in nature. Do, does Is there a lot of opposition to this? I know sometimes when bills get passed, you know, different interest groups will say, no, 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 you did, you did wrong here, and, and there's like some pushback on it. Does there seem to be any of that on this particular law? I have not had any uh, knowledge of a particular group having a lot of opposition to this law. I think it's pretty mm -hmm. much... Um, it's one of those things that it almost seems like a no-brainer, if you will. If somebody is experiencing this type of event in their life, we really should be a little bit more gracious and, and, and give them a little bit more leeway when it comes to taking some time off to get the situation rectified. And I think most employers recognize this, and they want to help as much as they possibly can. So, you know, as long as it's not something that they see as a, an abuse, uh, by the employee for excessive time off, then, you know, we really have not seen a lot of groups coming forth and, and really, um, you know, opposing this, this statue. Well, and what I remember from hearing you talk about this before is um, if when, we, when they take leave, when the person takes the leave, if they have still, if they still have sick leave that they can take, paid sick leave, or if they have paid time off, vacation, or whatever, they can go ahead and use that up first and still get paid uh, during this leave. But if they use all that up, um, they still get the leave. They just don't necessarily get the paycheck while they're gone. But all of their benefits continue and their, um, uh, you know, all of the things that, uh, uh, if there's bonuses or whatever, those continue as well even though they're not there and they're not drawing their weekly paycheck. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, employers have an obligation, very similar to our, uh, the federal FMLA, to continue to maintain the benefits that the employee had before they left. And that includes insurance premiums. Yeah, which is a big thing. I mean, it's a huge, that insurance anymore is a huge thing when it comes to not having time off. You might be able to get some assistance on your day-to-day -day expenses, but boy, try and pay for insurance premiums if you're not, you know, uh, listed under your employer. It's really tough. 
So that I can see being a really um, a wonderful benefit of this. Nevertheless, even though we know that there are employers who support it, and even though we know, you know, many individuals support it, nevertheless, there are people who have violated it either because they didn't know or for whatever reasons. Am I correct? And you've had to deal with some of those scenarios where there's been violations of this um, um, protected leave law. Yeah, it is unfortunate, and and that's what L&I is here for. Uh, We do look into complaints that come into our office uh, from employees who claim that their employer has violated this law, and it is unfortunate, but yes, um, I have had to cite employers in the past uh, for violations. And, you know, the the thing that is not really... um, I guess, a deterrent for the employer is not the small penalty that is assigned by labor and industries. What an employer needs to be concerned about is the fact that the employee could then take the findings and the penalties and possibly use it against them in a civil suit. And civil suits can run into the millions of dollars We're not talking about a small little $500 fine. Uh, We're talking about something that could bankrupt a company. Very uh, important that an employer understand the liability here and educate themselves on this law so that they don't have any missteps um, because you could very well find yourself in a civil action and in very expensive litigation trying to protect yourself if you are unaware of what you need to do as an employer. Yeah, and we talked about that before, how, you know, again, the burden seems to be falling a lot on the small business person because if you're a huge corporation, you have an HR department with multiple people who can keep up on this stuff. If you're a mom-and-pop store and you've got maybe three employees or five employees and you don't have an HR department and you're not part of a chain, it, it you are the one who has to make sure you understand this stuff. And so that's where things get tough. Um, but you've also had a couple of egregious cases where, you've had to um, go in and deal with some violations of this. Can you share some of those examples? Well, I've um, one particular example was a young lady who had requested some time off. Uh, the employer, um, as a result of her asking for this time off, um, started to change the terms of her work uh, environment. And by that, uh, two weeks after she had Uh, requested time off to take care of this domestic violence-related incident, Uh, her workstation was moved. She was told that she needed to change what had once been a weekly report into a daily report. She was told um, shortly thereafter that she could no longer speak in her native tongue to callers on the phone. Um, She was um, given at one point the um, kudos from her employer about how well she had performed in her job, and then shortly after she requested this leave, um, they took away the uh, promotional potential uh, that she had to make um, some additional money in training. She was supposed to be training additional employees, and they had offered her additional pay for that, um, you know, that task. And as soon as she had requested this time off, all of a sudden um, that potential was removed from her. Uh, 
in this particular case, I found that um, all of these things occurred within weeks of her asking for some domestic violence leave. And I found the employer had, in fact, um, discriminated and retaliated against her for attempting to use domestic violence leave. Um, I just could not, in good conscience, look at all of the changes in her working condition and feel that the employer was being um, not retaliatory in nature. Wow. Um, I also um, so ahead. you mentioned there's a fine through the department. If the department finds that they did violate it, there's a fine, yeah. and I don't think that fine is terrifically prohibitive. Um, it's what a thousand dollars for the first offense or something like that. It's it's five hundred for the first offense and a thousand dollars for each subsequent, um, you know, infraction. Uh, but again, these are not what an employer needs to be concerned about. It is the fact mm-hmm. that an employee can file that civil action, and we have a case that is going through that right now. Uh, the employer probably thought, oh, fine, I'll pay the $500 fine. It was a breach of confidentiality. Um, An an individual had requested some domestic violence leave, and uh, the employer released information out in a bulk email notifying everybody that this had occurred, which is a breach of the confidentiality requirement in the statute. Uh, the employer did receive a, a small, uh, you know, $500 penalty. However, that penalty is now costing the employer. The employee is taking this uh, to civil action and is suing the employer. I don't know for how much, but I know that the employer has requested records from us and is seeking all of the information from the investigation in trying to prepare themselves for the litigation that they are now going to be involved in. Wow. Um, So it becomes a really big deal. Um, And yet, I talk to people in Washington State, employers who've just never even heard of this. Um, And I know that you guys are out there promoting this. I mean, that's how we met. You know, your department is out trying to educate people about this. But why do you think people don't know about it? I mean, my first thought is, well, every year, you know, there's so much legislation and so many laws that are passed. And how could one person or two people possibly keep up with it all? I mean, I, I can appreciate that. But is there any other reason you can think of why people might not be aware of this? I mean, I would think chambers of commerce and business associations would all be out there trying to educate people about this. Yeah, you know, I wish I had an answer for that. Um, L&I does the very best it can to get the information out there. We provide the outreach. We have it on our website so that when you're there, you can have an opportunity to review what the requirements are. We have fact sheets. We have wrap cards that we provide, um, you know, to certain institutions so that they can just get this word out there. But unfortunately, um, you know, some employers are still – ignorant of of what the law actually does require of them. And it's unfortunate. These are the ones that um, haven't made the time to to get the knowledge they need, and they may make a misstep. And in that, in so doing, it may cost them. Yeah, exactly. And so it really, you know, I mean, there's two levels to our whole discussion. One is just that kind of the humanitarian thing to do level, but then there's also that business level. You know, it can cost you. Um, and if you're running a business, 
you know, just like it is with, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with people making a profit off their business. I, you know, I mean, I, I want to make a profit myself, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't have any problem with making a profit, but um, I think that you also have, can't lose sight of that humanitarian stuff. But if you are just focused on the making the profit thing, then wow, finding out that if you can violate this thing could potentially cost you millions. And I think, I think you did talk about one settlement that was extremely high that uh, resulted from a violation of this law. Are you recalling? I mean, it yeah, got a lot so of publicity. There, there was one incident that, um, you know, we did have a rather lengthy investigation that involved numerous aspects of the domestic violence leave law. Um, there were verification requirements. The employer had uh, singled this individual out to the point that they created a whole new request for leave form that the employee had to fill out. Uh, there was confidentialities. There was a, a public records request that the employer had received and released almost 200 pages of confidential information. Um, you know, can you imagine if you have an alleged abuser that is requesting all of your information and your employer gives it out? Now the employer, now the, you know, alleged abuser knows exactly when you're working, when you're not going to be there, who you're seeing and when. Um, you know, it's just some of the things that occurred in that particular investigation were just um, amazing to me that the uh, employer had such a lack of knowledge uh, that created so much hardship. And in that particular case, the employer was being sued at the same time that L&I was performing their investigation. And I can tell you that attorney that was uh, cooperating with me um, on behalf of the employer kept arguing with me about how it was so unnecessarily duplicative that they needed to defend themselves not only against L&I, but also in a civil hearing. And they kept requesting that I put the investigation on hold. And unfortunately, the statute actually does allow for um, an employee to sue in a civil action at the same time that they file a complaint with L&I. So, yeah, you're, you're getting it on two fronts. And in that particular situation, I believe the amount that was being uh, sought by uh, the aggrieved party was uh, $1.7 million. Wow. So this can cost you, you know, I mean, as, as a business person, if you don't pay attention to this, it can cost you. And I think what's, what's really encouraging to me about our state's um, uh, statute is that it takes this so seriously. You can tell that when they, when, when they, they composed this bill, however they, 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 whatever terminology they used for that, they weren't just giving lip service to some focus group. They actually were trying to make things better for domestic violence victims. At least Absolutely. that's how I interpret it. You know? I, I would totally agree important. with you. I mean, it shows to me, I mean, so often there just is a total lack of understanding on the part of people who have never experienced domestic violence. There's, there's just a total lack of understanding of how it works, you know, um, and, and what it means and how devastating it is. When I look at this statute and, and what they've come up with, it's like, wow, somebody, somebody there kind of got it and they fashioned this law accordingly. 
Um, so that encourages me because believe me, I can complain about our state politics and local politics until the cows come home along with the next person. But, but this one, I think by golly, they got it. Um, a couple more tweaks, you know, you know, leaving off your sister and your sibling, you know, that's kind of a tough one, but we'll keep working on them. Um, what about what happens now? I mean, I know you guys have concerted efforts and you work with community groups to try and get the word out. And, um, what, what, down the road for the for the statute from your your standpoint well i think that uh, as far as going down the road i see that we're probably going to be unfortunately receiving more complaints uh, due to the tightening of the language that we now have, um, I, I can't tell you how many times, Heather, I, I take a complaint and, and the individual would say, but I didn't request the leave. I just let the employer know that, you know, I have this protective order and I wanted him to be aware that, you know, my ex couldn't come in to the business and harass me. And and the next thing I know, I'm fired. Um, in previous, as I mentioned before, that was something that Elle and I could not investigate or look into. Now with this change in the language, I, I see that we're probably going to be receiving more complaints. Um, I don't know if employers are aware that this new safety accommodations is, is a piece, that they have to be more um, you know, aware of the requirement, that they have to do it if they cannot prove an undue hardship you know, and if that means changing, for instance, if you're a salesperson and you have a route that you use on a regular basis, you may have to sign a different route. You may have to move somebody's workstation so that the alleged abuser cannot, you know, know where they're located. So I think, unfortunately, for the future of this law, I see more complaints coming in that LNI is going to be investigating. And I, and I really hope that we are successful in getting the word out there to as many employers as we possibly can so that they don't fall into this pitfall and, and a misstep and find themselves in, in some kind of a, a position where there could be some, some liability. Well, and I agree with you, and I think most people out there, most employers, most of, mostly everybody, they want to do the right thing. They want to be helpful. They want to, you know, participate in, in making the world better. Um, there are a few stinkers who probably don't, but, you know, I think most people do. But it's a matter of, you know, knowing what they have to do and what the requirements are. One of the things that when I spoke with you before um, that surprised me was that you don't work alone. You're not, you guys are not sitting in a little, little tower just dealing with, you know, uh, these cases one-on-one. You actually collaborate with other departments. I'm thinking of victims' compensation, and I think there's one other one um, that uh, I spoke to or that we spoke to before. How do you collaborate on these kinds of cases within the Department of Labor and Industries? Absolutely. Uh, we do have the Victim Compensation Program, which is, um, you know, we we work with these folks hand in hand because, unfortunately, if you're looking for time off of work under the domestic violence leave law, most likely you may have been a victim of a crime. 
and you may need some financial assistance. So we certainly will take our complaints when they come in. If they meet certain criteria, we will have a referral with the victim's compensation folks and, and get you set up, get you over to the right parties so they can help you go through the process. We also have a retaliation unit here at the Department of Labor and Industries. Right now their focus is um, on Wage Payment Act, but we do work with them. Uh, the retaliation unit on occasion will come across domestic violence leave related issues. And because they work closely with my unit, uh, they know that they can refer folks over if maybe they didn't get paid and the employee thinks that it is nothing more than wage payment act. Uh, the uh, folks that are investigating it might see that the reason why the individual didn't get paid was because they were taking leave uh, that they may have been entitled to under domestic violence. And so we'll collaborate back and forth and, and speak to each other in order to help each other out. About how many complaints do you deal with, say, on a month or a week or a year? I would say that if we had to put it, um, last year I believe the number of domestic violence uh, complaints that we actually received was probably in the area of only about 25 to 30. Um, yeah. Of those 25 to 30, we did turn several away because, like I said before, the, the law had some gaps which have now since been corrected. Um, but now that we have that, I expect that we're probably going to see that the number of complaints the department receives in future is going to probably increase, unfortunately. Well, um, of those complaints that you've received, how many of them were resolved successfully, in your opinion? I would say that it, I would put the number at least 60 to 70 percent. As you mentioned before, Heather, employers really do want to cooperate. It is usually a lack of knowledge that this is out there that creates issues for employers. Uh, once it's brought to their attention about what they need to do in order to rectify the situation, many of them come into compliance immediately, doing whatever they possibly can to, you know, to solve the situation and get it uh, cor correct going forward. So I consider that to be very successful. If I can provide the employer with the education, the fines are, and the penalties are not important to me. What is important, if the employee is entitled to reinstatement or if they have wages that they were entitled to, you know, I want to make sure that these things are being done for the employee. My little piddly $500 penalty for the infraction isn't what I'm seeking. I'm seeking to get the employee back to what they would have had had the employer not had a misstep in the first place. If a person in Washington State um, feels that they have uh, been either discriminated against or this particular uh, statute has been violated in their case, how do they know who to contact? Do domestic well, violence shelters and domestic violence organizations know about this law? Are they notifying people uh, that this exists, do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. We have, as I mentioned before, we even have RAC cards that we provide to different advocacy programs. 
so that they can give these out to employees so that they know what they need to do. And all of the contact information is there. And if you know of somebody that has had an issue regarding domestic violence leave or believes that they may have had their rights you know, uh, violated, you can always check out our website. Our website is out there for people to access 24-7. You have the ability to file a complaint or even call to discuss with somebody uh, you know, the issues that may have occurred and, and somebody can help you. You know, I was telling you before about this case with the lady at the gym and I referred her to you. I don't know whether she ever called your department or not because she kept saying, well, I don't want to get my employer in trouble. I don't want to get my employer in trouble. And I kept saying, I'm not sure you're going to get your employer in trouble. I think you're going to give your employer an education if you contact the department. I hope I was right in saying that. I mean, you're not looking to get employers in trouble, are you? You're looking to educate them. Absolutely. And like I said, in in that particular situation, it would have been a a phone call. Had she filed a complaint, uh, it would have been investigated. I would have taken pertinent information. I would have called the employer, explained what the statute requires, and then asked him to correct the issue. Uh, Had he done so, there wouldn't have been any penalty. Or fine. It would have been me providing just some education and closing the complaint out as resolved. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate that she had, you know, uh, protective feelings for her employer. It was a small business, but I, I really said I don't think that you're just just by calling there. I don't think you're going to automatically get your employer in trouble. I think it's just going to help you and help him understand his responsibility in dealing with this situation, especially since it was another employee. You know, I mean, um, that's pretty tough. Do you ever reach uh, have a situation where both parties in a domestic violence situation are employed by the same employer? Wow. I have not, uh, but my predecessor loves to tell me about a story, uh, about a, a case, a domestic violence case. And this is, again, it goes to uh, this this hole that was in the previous statue. Um, it was a situation that involved a, a, a waiter and a waitress at the same location. The two were involved. Uh, as a result, there was some kind of an incident that occurred, and the waitress had gone to seek some assistance from the law enforcement uh, agency, had a protective order that said that the, um, the cook couldn't be within 500 feet of her. So she had presented the employer with this, this document and told the employer that he needed to make a different arrangement. As a result, the employer said to himself, who's more important to me? Somebody's going to have to go. They can't both work here. It's either going to be the waitress or it's going to be my cook. As a result, the waitress who presented the protective order ended up losing her job because in the employer's mind, the more valuable of the two was his cook. So in that Mm -hmm. case, again, without having her actually seeking leave, the law didn't cover her. But going forward, it would have. We now have yeah. the tools available to protect that waitress uh, to to hopefully resolve situations going forward. And you know that would be a tough call for any employer if you have two employees engaged in that and and you can't meet the terms of the protective order. Then I would say that somebody's going to have to go. And just because, in all, again, in all fairness, just because there's a protective order, especially a temporary protective order, doesn't mean that 
some, you know, one is the bad guy and one is the good guy. Um, that's for courts to settle. And so if you face an, um, uh, as an employer, you know, you could, you could fire somebody and then get retaliated, you know, and then, then, you know, face some liability because you fired a person. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really tough, you know, from the standpoint of these employers and I, I, and I understand and appreciate that. But so, you know, we get back to that whole thing about, you know, educating by the law, you know, educating about the law. Um, When you go out and you um, uh, investigate a case, how long is it usually the turnaround for that? Uh, our normal turnaround is we ask for at least 90 days. Um, most mm-hmm. of the cases that I get are resolved well within 60. It's it's okay. fairly quick. Right. It's fairly and quick. And most of them are, you said most of them are easily resolved as soon as, uh, you know, an employer understands what is required. Have you Absolutely. ever had a situation, have you ever had a situation where the employee was not, doing the right thing with, you know, in, in light of the law, but expected the employer to, to um, do meet some, some requirements that necess- didn't necessarily um, have to be met. Uh, yeah, I, I'm absolutely. trying to see. If, yeah. Okay. I, I understand right. where you're going and, and I have, I've, I've had, uh, you know, I'll give you a scenario. Uh, there was a, a, a domestic violence request for leave uh, the individual had been off for almost three months. The employer had made some missteps. Education had been provided to the employer. The employer changed um, his policies and continued to keep the individual on the payroll. As a result, he had asked for what he was entitled, which was a verification if anything had changed in her status, and she had provided him with a document from a domestic violence uh, shelter or group that kind of gave a breakdown of how much time she spent every week in domestic violence-related concerns. Her average amount of time taking care of these issues that are protected, and and by that we're talking about maybe safety planning or counseling, things of this nature, was about eight hours a week. And the employer came to me and said, is the leave that she's requesting, which is to continue to remain off of work indefinitely acceptable? Is that still considered reasonable when she's only engaged in eight hours a week worth of actual domestic violence protected activities? And unfortunately, um, I had to call the employee up and let her know, if you are a a 40-hour-a-week employee, only engaged in eight hours worth of protected activities, such as safety planning or counseling or, you know, doing, uh, you know, whatever it is that you do in order to make yourself whole, then your employer is entitled to have you working for the rest of that time. You need to get back to work in order to meet your obligation. And in this particular mm-hmm. case, the employee did not go back to work, and we found that the time that she had taken did not meet the reasonable characteristic any longer. Hmm. It's a tough issue. I mean, this is all a tough issue. Um, 
and it, it, you know, all of these issues are, are difficult. But I think that having this domestic violence leave law is a great measure. I didn't count how many states currently have some sort of measure. It was a, a fair list. I would say maybe, you know, 25 uh, states have some sort of legislation to some extent um, uh, that has to do with employers and employees who are experiencing domestic violence. I think ours is the most comprehensive that I saw. And again, I didn't study it. I just, you know, scanned through the, the list. And I'm, I'm kind of proud of our state for doing this. But I also can appreciate, you know, that employer side. So I think the best thing is if we can really educate employers and uh, let them know so that they know when they're doing things right. Let them know that your resource is there so that both sides of the equation can get assistance and help interpreting what, what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. If somebody's in another state and they want to learn more about our domestic or protected leave law or domestic violence leave law, is there a, a website link that you could, you could talk about or is there some connection yeah, that you absolutely. could provide? Yeah, absolutely. You would go to our home website and you would just type in the search engine domestic violence. It'll take you right to the, the actual page. We have a little bit of information on the website. We have a fact sheet that's available that you can go through. If you need additional information, my contact number is there as well for you to, to gather additional information. Um, our website address is, is www. And then there's three letters, L-N-I. Uh, stands for Labor and Industries. It's kind of quirky. So www.lni.wa.gov, um, that is where you could go. Just type in the search engine, domestic violence, and it will give you the link that you need in order to find out more about the state's law and the requirements that it has. There's additional PDFs that you can download. You can get a little fact sheet with additional information on it and also has my contact information and be happy to share additional information that way as well. Cindy, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about um, Washington State's domestic leave law or protected leave law and the things that it covers and sharing some of your experiences in dealing with that. I really appreciate it. And as we've talked before, it's all about education. It's all about letting people know that this resource is out there and letting them know what their obligations are uh, with this law. Did I miss anything that you wanted to throw in? Did I miss asking you about something that you think it's important that we tell our listeners? No, absolutely, Heather. I really appreciate the opportunity to come out here again. Education is the key outreach. Getting the information out there to both employee and employer is vital, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to come on your show and talk a little bit about it. And, and I think you did a great job of covering all of the aspects of this, of this law and what it entails. And again, thank you so much for the time. And thank you, Cindy Sarks, and thank you for listening. And join us again next week for Three Women, Three Ways.